0: time of avaricious men lost in their lust for power baby here they come again and wave the flag and smile to distract us from the truth Or well, we pay like hell for the lies they tell the thieves are on the loose stone go along with that land of the free pass away ladies and gentlemen back again as you know and Tonight, I've got an interesting guest, somebody who has a very interesting life story, and um, I'm not going to delay it too much because I'm going to introduce him while I can still remember how to pronounce his last name. So we're going to bring on Thomas McInnes, if I got it close enough, and Thomas is going to regale us with a rather interesting life story. Let me just make sure Thomas is there. Thomas, are you there? I am, Michael. Nice to meet you this evening. My pleasure. Thank you so very much for uh, accepting the invitation and coming on. And, uh, you know, one of the things we get to speak to each other infrequently, but sometimes we get to speak to each other on one of the monthly meetings for uh, people who are involved in this study nationally and in some cases internationally. I want you to be able to contact the people that host the meetings So you can join us and get to meet many very nice and interesting people who have found this Billy Meyer material so Thomas, tell us a little bit about how and when and where you found Billy Meyer's material please
1: It was about nineteen seventy seven when a friend of of mine who later became a friend was actually from Bern, Switzerland, and had emigrated here. And he was giving a fireside-type presentation on astronomy. And about three months later, he introduced me to the Genesis 3 first volume uh, in photo album. And uh, that's how I got started with Edward Meyer. And what was... What was your
0: first impression? You get this book, and you're looking at these photos and stuff. It's a little, you know, ways back in time. I mean, both you and I found this information and the evidence some time ago. What was your reaction, or what were your thoughts? Do you remember anything about how that impacted you at the time?
1: Well, I remember staying up all night long, reading through the book, and especially some of the references cited there. And, and because I have a good background in uh, many areas of, of history and and uh, the genre of education, uh, it was I literally stayed awake most of the night looking at it. I was charged. But uh, that brings uh, up the subject of my early life forms, which caused the excitement to be there. So I have a, a past history before that of about, 25 years younger than that of, of knowing and looking at UFOs and uh, having a personal friend whose father worked at Area 51. So uh, at, when I was six, well, I was in the sixth grade, I guess it would be, I was 12. This friend recounted the uh, Roswell incident and uh, it, it was in a grade school class on civics, <laughs> but the uh, the, real issues came from reading. Uh, and when I was a Cub Scout, I would get the Boys Life magazine and they would have this monthly article called Tom Swift and his Time Machine. And that was my first introduction to off-world stuff, which I now know later was a uh, a lot deeper in my creationary energy history than I had realized then. So... Was there something about uh, so-called
0: off-world or extraterrestrial type events or information or theories that was particularly, uh, you know, engaging? I mean, given the fact that you were informed about Roswell at an early age, as I was too, uh, how did this tie something together that began right around that time, let's say, twelve years of age, or was it?
1: was it something that was even in your consciousness at an earlier time i suspect it was probably hidden in my subconscious waiting for it to be awakened through impulses i guess is the best way to put it uh throughout the teenage years i had studied uh nicap and uh, which is an organization and uh, apro i think i'd seen in several magazines but the uh, Tom Swift uh, series in The Boy's Life had uh, spaceships in it, UFOs. And they had done a, uh, a time slip with Tom Swift moving one UFO into multiple entrances using time shift to meet this group of whatever. I can't remember the story, but to meet this group. So instead of just one machine, there was 10 machines there. Uh the thing that happened with the grade school incident with the my friend was uh i think triggered by probably uh, the day the earth stood still from 1951 which uh, i think is very poignantly connected to the meyer way of thinking uh, and certainly backs it up but the other things that brought it out were the ancient texts that I had studied up to that time—I had from 1974 up through about 89, and then a break for a while—and between 2000 and today, I've read uh, innumerable, 20,000 plus texts. And one that stood out was the Book of Enoch, uh, translated by R. H. Charles in 1916, with the Watchers. And then, of course, the Genesis 6 reference to the sons of God seeing daughters of men that they, you know, wanted wives of them all. But across the studies of the Gita, the Upanishads, uh, finally being awakened in 92, 91, 92 to uh, researching the year of of, uh, my birth in the Chinese calendar. I, had, I have several collections of books on the history of, uh, they called them dragons, but they were mostly, in the Irish culture of the Tuatha de Donan they were descendants to the planet in silvery ships. And of course, the Hopi Indians and the Navajo and the Lakota all have traditions. Part of my history has a rich background in Native American uh, Creationary stories. And so my studies included all those. So uh, how does that
0: mix, let's say, with sci-fi? Did you see something in, let's say, the Native American traditions, any information from uh, Chinese astrology? Did these things correlate in any way? Did you have an association or any kind of uh, concept that things were tied in that that sci-fi wasn't sci-fi all the time. That it was there was some basis, and the these ancient cultures with their uh, legends and all of that. Did that tie in in any way,
1: or did you view it as very separate things? That's an interesting question, Michael. the uh, the The things that tie the world together have tidbits spread throughout history. And the way my mind has worked is to take all of the various massive amounts of data and do correlations on them. And the more that I had read the current books in English that uh, Edward Meyer had written, uh, the more I became of the realization that he had a clearer view and a more direct way of expressing the values there than all the others had put together. But that includes uh, any of the religious works, most of the history of the planet. Um, And there are some other personal things, I don't know if I want to share them, that have to tie with uh, the many personalities he's had on the planet, that I've come to know in an impulse basis And from my studies, find the connections very direct.
0: Does that have anything to do with, um, let's say, the ancient philosophers, for instance, is one category, uh, and a very different category than what we would call the, uh, you know, the legends and those aspects of indigenous peoples who brought forward imagery and stories and tales that dealt with you know, things that you, of course, have, have touched upon, but certainly kind of cosmic things. And then we've got, you know, this sort of Western philosophical tradition and all, oh, anything like that
1: part of your your background? If you're asking if it had a philosophical aspect that I could run correlations on, yes. Uh, the Well, in junior high school, I read every sci-fi, every fiction work of, uh Bradbury, Asimov, Heinlein, literally the whole of the library that was held in that section. So I had this huge database in my mind uh, that functioned more then than it does now. But uh the the ancient texts uh the the Lao Tse is the way the Tao the, the uh oh the Gita has several areas uh, the Irish history, especially more recently, came with it. Uh, the ancient texts that I had read uh, when I was a teacher of uh, gospel doctrine in the what I call the MCE of the Mormon Corporate Empire—that <laughs> re- that research uh, tended to correlate uh, because I was a receiver of the monthly magazine, the Biblical Archaeology Review. And so as I read through these texts and documents, I began seeing a connection across time and space that became clearer the more I studied. Especially with um, like the books of Jasher, which are part of the Apocrypha, and uh, Isaiah of the of the Qumran scrolls, which was a little cleaner than, than uh, King James or the NIV. But uh, the more I did the cross references on them? The clearer things began, but really, the one of the favorite two books of, of Myers that helped clarify it, which uh, one of them I call the Mechanics, the Mechanics Manual of Thinking, <laughs> the, the gedanken and the other was the the Psyche, which fit right into my years in being married and counseling and what was going on. But the more I asked questions of those who, quote, had the authority, the less they knew and they could not answer. And that was the thing that really struck me, that, that there were people who were proclaiming things that were their own opinion and not based in anything. And, and the real reason I do the research is because I want the original closest source on the data. So I really don't take anybody's word for it, including Myers. If I can't process it and utilize what I've shared with you on the laws of intelligent thought, I wait until I go through that process and can do that. When you say the laws of intelligent thought,
0: what are you ex- specifically referring to?
1: The uh, uh, When I left the Mormon corporate empire when I was 32, I had started a... Uh, organization where one of the teachers that I helped uh, put in place gave a lecture on the Aristotelian laws of intelligent thought. And I really didn't make the connection back then, but I knew what those basic four things were. Uh, And I don't know, it was Chris Andler or someone else that produced the... uh, genealogy sheet that everybody can find online of Meyer's both uh, physical uh, genealogy and his uh, creationary energy pathway. uh, I believe it still shows that Aristotle and Socrates both were part of past personalities. Mm -hmm. And when I started learning more about Meyer in the Mid to late '80s, and then, and then went through training uh, at Monroe. I I figured out that there must be a tie to it. And I had started to use those processes in thinking, and that's really what made the massive leap in intelligence for me. You just said something, and it kind of triggered me, and I'm but, trying to lo-
0: lock into what it was. Oh gosh, the. When you, when you speak about, let's say, some of this more ancient philosophical stuff, and then we think about the you know religious, um, oh, what do you call it, the belief systems, the religions, and how they, they compel, or they want to compel people to accept on the basis of belief things without reasoning through and you know giving over the responsibility for their own lives and everything else to these outside forces imaginary or real you know in terms of of powers but uh, like established churches and all and you've mentioned you've alluded uh a couple times now to being part of what you called what was it the corporate mormon empire Corporate, Mormon Corporate Empire. Mormon
1: Corporate Empire. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a corporation. It's the official, official name is the Corporation of the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, it is literally that? And it's really, that's the name of it. That's the official legal name. And so I just it to Mormon Corporate Empire. And one of the things that came out in that series of lessons that I started was a meeting that the upper heads of the MCE had when the Smithsonian Institute declared that the scrolls or the papyri that Joseph Smith had supposedly written about the Egyptian uh, period, that they were the book of breathings. So they, they were not the Pearl of Great Price, which is one of the Mormons' works. And so I when I saw that crack in the, in that book of of the mormon uh, hypocrisy i guess like you call it their standard works, and i started teaching their gospel doctrine for five years i i studied all those and began to be really interested in using logic and uh, so i have one that really kind of broke the the dam for me and, and they are two quotes from the book of mormon and one from the bible the Book of Mormon court has a, a fellow named Nephi in First Nephi 4, and he's meeting this uh, uncle of his named Laban, and he wants to get the records so that his father Lehi can take him when they leave Jerusalem to come to the Americas, quote-unquote. <laughs> he says, I'm going to kill this guy so that the whole world doesn't dwell in un- unbelief. Well, you go back further in the Book of Mormon to Ether, which is the name of the book, chapter 8 verses 19 and 20, it says, and it has God speaking, says, I, i um, paraphrasing here, I would that man should not shed blood, but from the beginning hath forbidden it, which of course takes out crucifixion, takes out uh, blood sacrifice, takes out all of this. But the interesting part of the connection with John 11 in the, in the New Testament was that Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin chief, said it's better that one man died than a whole nation in doodle in unbelief. And those same exact words Joseph Smith used in Nephi. Well, I had shared that with a uh, econ professor of mine, and he created a real mess when the Mormon missionary boys would come visit him. He would start quoting those two and ask him to explain their logic in the matter. And that's wherein the laws of intelligent thought really have sway, Because you have first the law of identity, which... We identify an apple as an apple or green as a colored green or the moon as a planetary body and then the second one is the law of non-contradiction which means a thing can cannot be true and false at the same time there may be time periods where something is factual and there'll be time periods when it is not and the third one is the the law of excluded middle uh, the best way to do that i'm going to bring this page up is that the, the uh, law of excluded middle has uh oh if i find the early part of it it says uh states that for every proposition either this proposition or its negation is true it is called one of the three laws of thought and that's in uh, wikipedia under law of excluded middle anybody can look that up the when you run into data and this fits with anything you read i don't care who wrote it uh and it's the reason why i continue to study the Maya material because it doesn't violate the law of excluded middle it doesn't lie violate the law of identity it certainly follows the law of calculation, which I haven't discussed yet, which calculation comes from geometry. There can only be one line between two separate points. There can be only one plane through separate points. And there can be only one time space through four separate points. And in any equation where one of those variables is incorrect, means there's something at fault with that equation. Well, now you take that back to history. You take it whether it's Mormon corporate history or Native American history and, and its troubles with the United States Congress and the, and the rapes and murders from the different religious organizations, one of the major big ones, and both the big ones, the ones we spoke of and the bigger one in, in the East. But uh, that enabled me to say, well, it can't be true because it violates these basic laws of intelligent thought. And when I got through reading the Mach de Gedanken, I realized that because I'm a mechanic, you know, a master mechanic at art, I realized that his clear expression and explanation was the most refined art of thinking that one could have. And of course, with the psyche, the same is also true that if you really want to find the value of your own efforts, then you must know and master your own psyche. I could get into nitty-gritty detail. The best part about the study process is that I got the original sources that I can quote to people and they go look for themselves. The interesting part of my history was that in 1988 I had received something. I'll send you a copy later. Having, having studied things that were not true gave me the basis to find things that were, and, and Meyer speaks of this regularly about, you must understand the whole, and you must be able to be, I call it universal equilibrium, but I think they call it something else in his in his wording, uh, Figu calls it something different, but it's, it's basically being uh, balanced. Equalized equalized yeah that's the word equalized one of
0: the items that you seem to hit upon i would say when you were speaking about there, you know seeing green is green and what have you meyer talks about one of the foundational principles in the teaching is to see things as they really are and that's quite a quite a trick these days when you take into account how much deception there is in terms of the, the eyes are fooled and the the um the, the ears are fooled and all sorts of things by virtue of deep fakes and uh, AI and what have you. So, wh- you know, some people might use, um, let's say, the word that we don't use. The word for the psyche or the the, the soul is a term that is an inaccurate term because it refers to the psyche well we've got the idea here of seeing things as they are we've got the idea of complete self-responsibility we have the psyche as opposed to the soul Where in our values and morals and those qualities in the work that you have left and how do you view it if those things are present in the study of the Meyer material. I'm kind of
1: trying to put that thought together. I don't know if it came across clearly or not. Uh, I can quote another phrase from Socrates. It's called, to misuse a word is to corrupt one's own psyche. The word translated is soul, but in 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 more accurate data, language is is in uh, the specificity of it being written for this time period in high german versus english or other words other languages that don't accurately express ideas accurately Uh, to answer your question is the use of the word and its application whether it's emotion whether it's psyche whether it's moral it's based on the individual's understanding of that definition. The the problem exists in, when communicating, people do not express sufficiently up front the language that they are using, which is why English is such a poor language to describe uh, creationary principles. And it's much easier to go out and play in the dirt and plant flowers and trees and grow stuff and have nature teach you, than to listen to a philosophy teacher, which in the areas of study, I've studied philosophy, history, law, geology, geography, native peoples, native histories, off-world histories that I can get my hand on, and the use of the laws of intelligent thought have been a constant sift for me in accepting the way people say things before I let them enter into my thought processes. We're all responsible for the things we choose to do. Most people don't know that they're responsible for that because there's an interesting principle of creation that I have found, and that is that what you do in creation will be allowed to be done to you, which is a kind of a paraphrase of a New Testament thing, do unto others as you be done by so if you use the word morals on something, you have to define it much plainer than that. If you use the word psyche, you have to define what that is. And over here to my side here are the death, life, reincarnation cycle and other world pieces. There is the human consciousness PowerPoint that I use and the uh, science process model in toroid form. The... Uh, The step-by-step every person must go through and they must take personal responsibility for is the comprehension and understanding of what language is and what is inferred. And by following my own prime directive, which I wrote in 1988, uh, it basically says, because of what we know, we should only respond to others outside of us, not in a... uh, Preaching format, what's the word, uh, the religious word for it? Proselytizing? Yeah, proselytizing, That, but that and, and the of the sending out of missionaries. If a person asks you a question, then it is the rule of creation that you may expand expound upon it based upon your learning, and then they can choose for themselves. But if you go to express something to a person and they haven't asked about it, you're going to meet the psyche resistance of every person. And that's the hardest part about the Mormon corporate empire that Mormons have. And that is they must learn to shut up and listen. And they don't know how to do that. They can only tell you what they believe is true, not what they know is true. Wouldn't I
0: mean, you that is also a characteristic of many people in many belief systems or religions? Oh, oh yes.
1: You know what... Yes, Go ahead, politics and- politics, and everything.
0: Yeah, you know, um, one of the operating principles of life, certainly one of the great immutable laws of the universe is cause and effect. And I have, in looking at a very cursory, because I'm not a scholar of religion at all, but I have found that the so-called golden rule and and what you were just speaking about a moment ago seems to be one of the manifestations uh of expression of the law of cause and effect it's like when you're when you're being told in a religious sense do unto others as you would have others do unto you it really should be more like you know the law of the pendulum what what goes out comes back and all of that and it it um I, I've often thought that if in a religion, like if in Christianity, if they had based the whole thing on do unto others and lived with, with that, it could have been a nice philosophical group that would have violated no no fundamental values and, and morals and uh, laws of creation in the progression and the falsification of the original teaching. But uh, I guess that
1: was not to be. Well, there's one part of the religious uh, philosophy that I can correct its definition on, and that's the word grace. Grace is defined by them as something not earned, but given. They say some sky daddy or kin man delves in it, but in reality, the creation energy which we are formed of, I have found a personal uh, awareness of in it allows me to choose and not immediately slap me with a big paddle for doing the wrong one. It allows me to figure out what was incorrect about it and then change that process. But if I don't change the process, then I am missing out on the tool that would eliminate its effect on me. Now, so
0: the that's only- one
1: of That's one of the big lessons of cause and effect. Is if you don't know the causes, and in my lean training, it's called a breakdown analysis. If you don't do the analysis of the cause and effect, and you express an opinion that is has elevated energy or emotion, then you don't do yourself or the other person any good. Yes, I do that because I've messed that up enough.
0: Who hasn't? Now, the only thing I would uh, comment on is uh, the sense that the universe, per se, does or doesn't do anything to or with or for or against us, but that it is our own proceeding through thought, feeling, action, that we either find ourselves in accordance with the universal laws and the natural state of, uh, you know, we call it, people say, oh, grace or blessings or this, that, and the other thing. Simply that when we are flowing with those universal laws, I'd say not all the time do we experience, you know, great joy and harmony and all that. Because sometimes that law that allows us to make mistakes is theres so that we tumble a bit like a stone in a, you know, in a jeweler's thing. So we get a little bit polished, but that it's very neutral. It has it's nothing in any sense personal about any person. So in the new age stuff, people are always talking about the universe did this, the universe wants me to do that, and the universe told me. It's still like an in that sense, it's an offshoot of religious thinking where there is some outside force that is observing and monitoring and either bestowing on one. A nice pat on the head or a slap across the whatever, when really we, as Billy says, we are the smiths, the forgers of our own destiny. And it's through that process of cause and effect that begins thought, feeling, thought, action, that we encounter these things that we then view as favorable. We like or dislike things. And it does take a lot of study and work and discipline to view with neutrality, the highs as well as the lows, and to somehow, like you brought up the word before, to, to be equalized in our life, in our thinking, in our responses, in our actions. So a very different thing is the creation energy teaching than the beliefs and the religions of the world. That, it, as you said, you know, have a sky daddy, somebody up there, you know, with a little wand or a tennis racket slapping us around, what would you say would be, if you have at this point, uh, a favorite aspect of the teaching or anything that you're particularly focused on right now?
1: Well, this new book that's come out called The Death, Rebirth, and Dying Process, I've tried to narrow down. haven't found it yet, but I'm reading into it and processing it slowly. But you mentioned several things that triggered the thought processes and the lean mind, uh, which is one of my specialties in, when I was in manufacturing. Uh, each of those things you discussed are a uh, the use of the fallacy of the incorrect law of identity. And again, it boils back to Socrates, to misuse the word is corrupt one's own soul. The interesting part about that is that for me there was a book published by uh uh it's called the the biology of belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in it, uh Lipton, I'm sorry, I think it was trying to think of his name, Lipton, Lipton describes as a medical researcher what happens to us in our physiology when we do such things. And rather than export cause and effect outside of oneself understanding what it does to the physical self and therefore to the mental self and to the emotional self has much more effect and is much closer to the individual if they don't use a language that is something that's away from them but the, instead of the language they are part and parcel of all the people who think of, of the, the sky daddies and and faith and prayer and so forth uh They're on their pathway to learning. And I have found that uh, the creationary force in each one of them will, uh, at the appropriate moment, when they're ready to listen, when they're tuned in, or as Meyer says, when they're swinging waves or harmonized, uh, then they will learn that what they were talking about, as all of us have, is incorrect and we're more refined in it. That's the process that my training and education away from the Meyer material has given me as a uh, binaural view on things. Uh, I learned things from others' commentary before I read, and I've read everyone in English, it's been translated in English of Meyer's works. but the interesting part about it i have found and i suppose if i can accurately get as close to my evolution as possible that is to say that is contained in the dna of ourselves Mm -hmm. and when i when i look at the giving myself the patience to learn and grow and i don't take punishments and rewards which means that i would throw out uh mormons first second and third article of faith and their tenth one right out the door because it's just crap uh and most of the muslim and the christian and the catholic and the protestants and even the uh, eastern religions they they don't focus on the responsibility of self and everything i read from uh, edward meyer comes to the point of, if you understand what I'm just telling you now, and I'll use his words and use my own voice, then you will understand the pathway you must choose. And you don't let anybody else choose it for you. You must choose it for yourself, which means if you don't ponder, which I think what meditation helps people do, if you don't educate yourself, if you can't do a breakdown analysis of really Following the laws of intelligent thought a breakdown analysis, man, material, machine, and methodology. Those four things uh, really can describe what you're doing and feeling. Now Lipton points out that feelings are based in DNA expressions and disharmony away from the creationary equalizedness the the logic process for me enables me to not always change immediately but to identify the processes that I must do and not beat myself up for the things that I don't know how to do my children will all give you the examples of their their dad being involved in religious horseshit and to this day sometimes I because I care my grandkids and my kids I care about them all. I want to tell them about things I know. And really, it's none of my business. And and I told my youngest the other day that uh, that was something I wish I could have eliminated earlier. But growing up in the, in the inculcation of religious crap and assigning something outside of yourself as the punisher and the leader really has done a disservice to our DNA as far as progressing down to our next generations, because we, if we don't evolve ourselves, there's no way to pass that on genetically. And so my studies have been around understanding the genetics, running into instances where I found former personalities or probable, I put put it this way, highly probable, high degree of confidence, And there's some interesting insights that came from that. Uh, I think you used the word impulse. And to me, impulse is something that is a result of harmonizing your swinging waves with your subconscious so that it brings it to your consciousness. Uh, And then the experiences of life teach you. uh, And I've had a couple of those. If you want to share them on the program, I don't know. I've actually seen off-world. Form. So it's it's not a matter of of who's doing what, because there's about 15 or 20 different realms of people screwed with this planet and have over the years. So take that from there. A whole, a whole potential
0: show about that, of course. Um, we can look at, you know, I just want to say before we wrap it up here, that what you were just talking about and how your experiences with your children and what you, you know, took you time to learn a certain, I, I think about my own experience raising my daughter. I was a single dad and raised my kid uh, from infancy on up. And at a certain point, probably about 10 or 12, she said something to me, which really it was like, it stopped me in my tracks. And I, she had to say it a few times in a, a few different circumstances before I really got The importance of it and that was simply don't tell me what to do and it was not in defiance of these are your chores and all that kind of thing it it had something to do with where that intersection of a person a young person taking and knowing self-responsibility and not allowing anybody including their effectively you know singular parent to override that emerging Self, And I uh, did a lot of little things consciously along the way of holding myself back subsequent so that I did not inhibit and even to allowing, I'm sure, excesses when a person starts owning their power, you know, uh, allowing some excesses in a little bit of uh, self (laughs) responsibility slash defiance. For the sake of not squashing that, you know, sense of I will create my own destiny, thank you very much. So as parents, you and I, and I'm sure other people who have gone through all sorts of things trying to raise children according to the traditions of the time, the culture, the belief system, what have you, and coming face to face to confront the reality of when the essence of a person calls out and when, if, and when we do grasp, wait a minute, and hold ourselves, discipline the self so that we can properly discipline and guide the emerging self of the, of the child. So just some thoughts on that. Um, would anything you want to leave us with for this show and, We'll probably be doing some more talk about the other life forms and views of them, et cetera.
1: Uh, They only come from my history. And I think I got uh, in the time before last uh, area group meeting, they stayed afterwards. And for about 40 minutes, I bent their ears for a while. I kind of wondered if I should have done that. Uh, The. 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 The way I look at my path is if what comes after me produces something I would consider positive, then i made a valuable choice. And if what comes after me is, causes me to, uh, oh, I really screwed that one up, didn't I? And, and immediately I said, well, that just means you're not as evolved as you thought you was, you know, and you go on your own way. The, uh. The interesting part about me that I'm really intrigued about is a little building they must have over there in Smith-Rudy called the Sohar. I don't know if you run into it when you were there or not, but uh, I have read through the contact reports, and, and I had Wendell Stevens' early uh, translations of some of the early ones, the, the volumes that came out printed in hardback on typewritten pages, and so I had those in my past, but You know, you you mentioned once earlier that wouldn't it be nice if I took a trip over there and if I could afford to do it and and survive the trip and not get ill from other people being on the plane and all that crap. I would like to do that because there is something that I ran across, I think it was in CR 39, about those who wanted to be part of the uh, continuation of the mission had to go through this process to, to be born in that area. Um, you know, the, the, the data is out there. People want to study it. They have to pick and choose their own stuff. You had a fellow on last time or two times ago that uh, Derek that I thought was very highly intelligent in the way he was expressing things. And so I think there's a lot of people on here who have unique pieces to be involved but sometimes sharing the uniqueness—I'm very oblique with that term—of the pathway that each of us has walked makes others feel like they were less. Kind of like that group that visited in ten thousand or one thousand A.D. who visited, took back the monks' teaching on on Christianity back to their planet, and then they ended up destroying their worlds. So part of that process, I think, is is wise uh, direction from uh, Meyer material to not do that. And so I, I hesitate after you quit recording, I might like to share a few things, but uh, uh, as far as this goes, I think people need to take the pathway serious, the, the uh, goblet of truth, the ones that have been posted online, especially in chapter 22 and chapter 23, have really poignant directions on individual self-choice. So I would simply encourage all of those to, if they haven't started anywhere, start there and, and then go out and screw up because you're going to figure it out real quick. Well, thank you very much. I, I will,
0: because you just mentioned it, you mentioned Wendell Stevens' original you know, translations. So Wendell Stevens' books that you mentioned, we have just gotten permission from Billy Meyer to put up the downloadable versions of Wendell's books, I asked Billy for that permission because those books, while there are translations in there that uh, are mistranslations of what Meyer said, the important thing is that quite literally those books contain, since they're copyrighted, we know when they were published, they contain information that constitutes a legal and scientific standard of proof not only for space travel, but for time travel. And I have just tonight put up a blog with the first mention of those books, and I'm going to keep letting people know so people can get either Wendell's four volumes that way, or they can also get them with his two, in what do you call it, uh, preliminary, investigative, and supplementary. So
1: Supplemental remember. and
0: preliminary. Right. So all of this is now available again, and we'll be talking more about that in shows to come. So I must bid you adieu because I've got to capture this so that I can put it out for everybody. And I thank you despite the technical problems that came about, your patience is appreciated. And we will speak again shortly. And I thank everybody who has tuned in and who's had a chance maybe to to meet you through this presentation and i look forward to you know hearing and seeing what people have had to say because i think they maybe will have uh, a number of comments from you and all you'll have a link to this and go forward if any questions come in so for tonight to everybody i say thank you very much thomas and for all concerned be safe and serene and salome (laughs) They can't explain how things have gotten bad. Drugs and crime are all the crime, so they hide behind the flag. They'll trash the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. There's nowhere to hide they decide to kick in your door tonight. Don't go along with that. The land of the free, that's the way we give away our liberty. First will be the flag, then what you can eat. Next will be your attitude, what you say you're feeling fake. Then before you know it, you're a number without a name. We're under attack, we better push back so we don't end.